Hi folks, it's Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things that we can all do to live a better life, if times get tough or even if they don't. Coming to you once again from Hot Springs Village, Arkansas, high atop the Highway 7 Ridge Line from TSPN, the Survival Podcast Network Headquarters. Today is December 22nd, 2011, and it is one day before the last day of the year for the show. And uh, that will be Christmas Eve Eve, if you want to call it that. And that should be a great day for the Christmas special that will be coming. Today I did have an interview planned for you. Some things went awry with that. It didn't work out. But I always think that things happen for a reason. And even though I'm kind of congested from some kind of an allergy thing and I'm struggling a little bit with my voice today, I think I have done uh, uh, some research and an outline and put together a show for you guys today that is going to like blow up your excitement at the end of the year, right when we need it most. Right when we're going to go into kind of that downtime with family. We're going to have time to think. We're going to have time to think about our futures. We're going to have time to think about what we're going to do in 2012. Uh, maybe we'll have a little eggnog, a little Kentucky bourbon in it or some stuff like that. Uh, maybe we'll see some people we don't normally see. But one way or another, for most of us, there's some downtime. Now, even a lot of people at work, you don't do as much at work. Things are a little bit more laid back and you have more time to think. And when you think, there's two things that can happen to you. One, you can think about the future in a positive way. Or two, you can think about all the things that are getting in your way. And it is those times where we can become very depressed, especially with shorter days and stuff like that. Well, I don't want to leave you that way. So even though I might have to fight a little bit to get this out, I'm going to blow this up for you today. I want to leave you today excited about your future and excited about being a prepared, minded individual. I want you to feel really good about 2012 going forward. Even if there's hard times, I want you to know that you have a great future as a prepper. Before we do that, though, let's go ahead and take care of our sponsors. They do a lot to help take care of you. Sponsor of the day number one today, silverandgoldshop.com. Probably too late to get your orders in for Christmas, but hey, it's still a good time to be thinking about giving those kiddos maybe an ounce of silver instead of a couple ounces of Chinese plastic crap around Christmas time. Silverandgoldshop.com is a great place to do that. It's also a great place for your silver, not just silver and gold for kids, right? Uh, I think that about 5 to 10% of your net worth should be in silver and gold. I do not think that that means you should just run out and buy it all at once. I think you have to be smart about when you buy. I think you have to time the market a little bit. And I think it also makes sense to buy small amounts over time and do dollar cost averaging in an actual intelligent way versus the way your your financial liar tells you to do it by just being blind to everything. And a great place to do that would be silverandgoldshop.com with the wonderful Mary Beth Maidmont. Check them out today. Next up today, Harvest Eating with the illustrious Chef Keith Snow who teaches you how to cook seasonally and locally. Hey, he's got something new. You know those spice packets I'm always you know blathering on about for chicken and pork and seafood and my favorite, the steak seasoning? Well, now he's got them in a larger packaging. Uh, uh, what do you call it? Uh, vacuum sealed. Uh, each one of them vacuum sealed and then in a larger bag. So you can toss them right in with some of your preps. So when you go to eat that prepared food, if you ever need to rely on it, you've got great seasoning to make it taste good so you'll enjoy it more. Check those out. Check out his membership. Check out, check out his cookbook. 
Great website, follow his YouTube channel. I'm telling you, if you want to know how to make all this stuff we talk about growing and the great stuff to eat, Chef Keith is the guy to teach you to do it. Speaking of YouTube, you can connect with me on Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter. I did put out a quick little video last night of some swales that I went home and dug. You might, guys might think because of my voice that I don't feel good. I actually feel fine. It's speaking that's difficult. But we'll get through this hour together. Those are the ways to connect with me. Last but not least, do consider joining the Member Support Brigade. You do that, you get exclusive content. You get over $150 worth of ebooks. You get a whole bunch of stuff. You support the show at 20 cents an episode. Just click on members at thesurvivalpodcast.com for more on that. All right, with that, let's go ahead and get to the main topic of today's show. And today's show is being called Passion, Persistence, and Planning Always Meet Paranoia. And I'll tell you what, I was just thinking like, What can I come up with, you know? And as a marketer, you know, the three P's, the three R's, there's always something like that. So if I wanted to do that, I wanted to sum up what Jack Spirico and modern survivalism are really all about, what the Survival Podcast is all about, and I wanted to do it in some kind of, you know, quirky marketing way, three somethings, what can I do? And I, you know, um, I've been hearing the word paranoia a lot, and I've actually been hearing paranoid people defend their paranoid state a lot by saying that their fear is real. We'll get to that in a second. Um, but I said, well, what would be three P's that would trump paranoia? And they're passion, persistence, and planning. And not necessarily in that order, but they just sound better in that order in the title. So that's, that's the order I put them in in the title. I think planning actually comes first. We'll, we'll get to that in a bit. But let's just start out with what exactly is a healthy fear versus a paranoid state? Um, like I said, I've had, and, and there's probably a person listening today that thinks I'm talking about them, and I am, uh, but I, I have to tell you that it's, it's weird to me over the years that things will come to me in mass. And I've had meetings with people face-to-face -face recently where the same thing has come up, and I've gotten quite a few emails around one particular subject lately, the Na National Defense uh, Authorization Act, and we're going to talk about that in a second, uh, that if it's, if it's real, And you're concerned about it, and you're, 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 you're really, really, really concerned about it, but it's real, it's not paranoia. Well, it depends. I mean, let's look at it this way. Um, is there a legitimate danger that while being near a road, a car could run you over? N not at all. There, that's, that's, or I mean, yes, definitely, right? There's nothing wrong with seeing that as being possible. And that would make you do things like look two ways before you cross the street. If you hear a car coming and you have your back to traffic, turn around and seeing if that car is on course or not, seeing if it represents any danger. Uh, when you're pulling out into a street, when you're the one driving, making sure there's no one you're going to run over, watching for other vehicles. There's all basic things that we do that nobody sees as paranoid around driving a car, walking across the road, crossing a street, going out to get our mail or whatever. But what if you were like, man, roads are dangerous. Uh, and it's not paranoia because they really are. People die on roads every day. Thousands, tens of thousands of people are killed by cars every year. I'm not going near a road ever again. And, and we need to stop roads, and we need to get rid of roads, and, and, and I don't understand how you people go near roads, and don't we, don't you think we should call our congressman about how, how dangerous the roads are? And maybe the car should be made to go slower, and I, I, I'm not going to, to, out to work today because I'll have to go on a road. What would you call that person? Paranoid. In fact, you'd call them extremely paranoid. And this is the reality. You go from a healthy fear, to a completely paranoid state, and people see it and go, duh. But there is a point on a spectrum where we begin to leave healthy fear, and maybe we're still grounded in it a bit, 
But as we move any further down that spectrum, we've lost grounding. And we've gone into a paranoid state. Now, I said I would talk to you about the National Defense Authorization Act and how that relates to paranoia. And I've got a lot of emails about this. Jack, you don't understand. That bill says unequivocally that they can round up and detain United States citizens indefinitely with no due process. Um, and in the original language, it could have been interpreted that way. Uh, there were some exemptions that were put in there that were taken in, put out, taken in, put out. But all of you saying that, do you, do you know what it actually says? Let me read it to you. Let me read the part that everybody says says that they can do this. Uh, it comes out of Section 1031, and even the people that are lathering this up uh, are saying it's 1031 and 1032. I'm going to read them to you verbatim as in the past legislation, and I want you to tell me if this says that they can round up U.S. citizens with nothing other than the fact that they're saying they're suspected terrorists and hold them indefinitely without due process. You tell me if you hear that. If you do, fine. Maybe you're moving a little down the spectrum, though. Section 1031, Authorization Detention, B, Covered Persons. A covered person under this section is any person as follows. One, a person who planned, authorized, committed, or aided the terrorist acts that occurred on September 11, 2001, or harbored those responsible for those attacks. Two, a person who was not part of or substantially supported al-Qaeda, the Taliban, uh, or associated forces that are engaged in hostilities against the United States or its coalition partners, including any person who has committed a belligerent act who has directly supported such hostilities in the aid of such enemy forces. E, authorities. Nothing in this section shall be construed to affect existing law or authorities relating to the detention of United States citizens, lawful resident aliens of the United States, or any other persons who are captured or arrested in the United States. Continuing on to Section 1032, Requirement for Military Custody. Two, covered persons. This, the requirement in paragraph one shall apply to any person whose detention is authorized under section 1031 who is determined to A, to be a member of or part of Al-Qaeda or an associated force that acts in coordination or pursuit to the direction of Al-Qaeda and B, to have participated in those, in, in the course of planning or carrying out an attack or attempted attack against the United States and its coalition partners. So. Um, am I saying this is a great constitutional bill? No. And I'll tell you why. And some of you won't even agree with me on this. Some of you will say that I'm too soft on this. The Constitution of the United States of America does not apply to United States citizens exclusively or resident aliens exclusively. The Constitution of the United States of America applies to humans. It's one of the great things they don't teach in our history classes. Uh, one of the great things they don't teach in our civics classes anymore. I guess because they don't want you to know that. But the Constitution of the United States doesn't say because you're a U.S. citizen, the U.S. government has said that you have these rights and you have these protections of said rights. What it says is as a human being, you are entitled to these rights by your very existence and your government recognizing those rights are inherent to you as an individual will stand with you to ensure that they are protected if someone greater in strength than you attempts to trample on them. And that your government will be the last person to take your rights. That's what the Constitution says. That the, the government's charge is to defend the existing right, not to grant a privilege which they can recede, rescind. If that's the case, if that's the case, then the guy in Afghanistan 
by the very nature of that case, is entitled to those rights. So I don't think anybody, anywhere, should be held with indefinite detention, period, regardless of who they are or what they've done, if they cannot be prosecuted under due process of law. Because if you can do it to one person, eventually you can do it to all. So there's the danger there. The danger is real. But what happens? Even even people I like, like Rand Paul, get up and say, hey, look, they said you're a terrorist if you store food. And they ignore the other 90-some-odd telltale items on the list. Do I think that's a mischaracterization and that Rand is right when he reads that and says, hey, this is stupid? Yeah, I do. But then what happens? Then a person like Alex Jones takes the NDAA, tells you it means something it does not, says I have Rand floor on the, on, the, on the floor of the Senate saying that they think you're a terrorist if... They connect two things that are not connected, and they put people into a paranoid state. So is there a danger here? Yeah, there's a danger because we continue to devalue our own Constitution and say that it only applies to people who we say it applies to, instead of applying to humans, which is how the damn thing was written. It's how the Declaration was written as well, by the way. And I think it's important that we understand that's a real danger. I think that it does set a precedent where someone could be a U.S. citizen, fall under the criteria listed, and be indefinitely detained. But I don't think this gives anybody any authorization anywhere to do the things that people say it says they're going to do. And then you've got, they're going to round you up and put you in FEMA camps, and you love it! You love being enslaved! Right? And then you're, oh my god, and then I get emails. How can we survive being put into FEMA camps? Stop being a dumbass paranoid. That's how. And focus on passion, persistence, and planning. And those are my solutions to paranoia. And again, for those of you that are going to write me emails today and tell me how wrong I am about this, I'm not even going to read them. I'm really not. If you want to send me an email with actual provisions in the legislation and tell me how you're interpreting that, I'll read it. But when you send me hyperbole, nonsense, and bullshit and try to connect this law to some other law when the two aren't connected, pfft. now I do want to know this. I do want to, before I go on with my solution, I do have a question, especially for those of you, and I know many of you who listen to this show actually write for the Huffington Post. There's been a few pieces on the Huffington Post about this legislation, the NDAA being wrong, but not really, but not really. It hasn't been front and center. There's been no outrage. There's been no cries. Why do I believe that if George Bush were president and this were going on, that the Huffington Post would be huffing and huffing and puffing and puffing? But instead, they're doing really nothing. And, you know, a few sideline bloggers are posting a few things about it. And then people get in there and actually defend either side in this. And go, it's, it's the Republicans' fault. They tied Obama's hands. And they, oh no, it's Obama. He wanted it that way. You know, come on. It passed 90, with 97 votes the first time. And 87 votes the second time in the Senate. Overwhelming majority. Nobody gets any defense in this. Just, just had to say that real quick. And let's get on to the, to the reality. Let's get on to what I promised you. Number one, planning. I don't think there's anything that you can do in your life that will have a greater positive impact than planning. And there's a reason for that. And I think it's something that most people just simply do not understand. Planning involves the future. There's no way that planning can be limited in temporal space to only the now. The very act of planning requires you to think in a linear process, a step one, two, three style process, or a cause and effect process. You don't plan for the past. There's no point. 
You only plan for the future. So the second that you begin to plan your life, you say, I'm going to persist. I'm going to be here. And you're saying at the same time, even if you don't know it, this is so, God, this is so important. You're saying, what I do matters. I have control over my future. Even if I don't have all the control, I have an impact. I have a choice. And, and that immediately begins to tear away paranoia and misery and depression. The knowledge that you have a choice. The knowledge that you have a future. The knowledge that there's something else. I've seen little kids devastated because they got cut from a team. right? A basketball team or a football team or whatever. And you know what usually brings them out of it? Having something else to do. When they realize, oh, I can go do this. And all of a sudden, it doesn't, not really a big deal anymore. Because now there's something to go, now I have something to do. Planning means there's going to be something to do tomorrow, next year, etc. And I think the biggest thing that I talk about planning here is your lifestyle. And I think it's something that most Americans simply don't do. Most Americans run their lifestyle by the seat of their pants. That's why they live on MasterCard, Visa, Amex, etc. Discover card, right? And Discover card comes out and tells us there's nothing wrong with living in a consumer-driven uh, society. Remember that one? Remember that commercial? I put it on the air years ago. And, of course, they took it down off of YouTube because they realized what a bunch of dumbasses they were for that, um, putting out that message. There's nothing wrong with that. But that's why they live that way, because they're not actually planning their lifestyle. They might plan their vacation. Uh, they might meet with their financial liar and uh, plan their retirement if you want to call it that. Um, they might plan to go pick the kids up next week, but do they plan their lifestyle? Do they does, do, do people in general say to themselves, I, I want a certain amount of joy and happiness in my life. I want a certain amount of cushion in my life. I don't want to be house poor or car poor. People say it when they're justifying not buying something at the moment, but they turn around and buy it tomorrow and they do it with something else. Person says they don't want to be house poor, spends ten thousand less on the house, and goes out and spends ten thousand more on a car. They end up in the same debt ratio situation, and that's because they don't plan their lifestyle. They don't even stop for a minute to think, "What do I want my life to be like?" They think about what kind of house do I want to live in, and they think about it the way they do on Desperate Housewives, so that other people will look at my house and go, "Ooh, look at their house." Well, that's that's not how to live. Your lifestyle is when I get up in the morning, am I happy? Do I like what I do? Am I going to go do something today that matters? Is it is it going to have a significant impact on other people? When I come home from my work, whatever that may be, will I be happy to be home? Or just tired and asleep in a chair? Will I take a walk with my dog or go fishing or hunting or, or whatever it is? People don't even ask these questions of themselves. They don't plan their lifestyle. Most of what I talk about here can be summed up as planning your lifestyle, lifestyle planning, so that you know where you're going, where you want to be, and how far you have to go to get there. And it's amazing if you think about it this way. Every day, ships leave ports, and they travel thousands of miles across the ocean, and they arrive at another port. And they get there largely on time, And then they turn around and go back and they get right back to the same port that they left originally. Or they go to a third port and then back to a home port. And then they do it again and again and again. And it happens over and over and over again. And no one gets lost. And there's a simple reason. Sure, we have all this great fancy navigation stuff today. But even hundreds and thousands of years ago, we were able to navigate the sea. 
we, we were able to go places. We have these stars for navigation, sextants, uh, things like that. Well, why? Because of two things. Knowing where you are and knowing where you're going. Well, that's how you plan a lifestyle. You have to know where you are, where you're going, and what your progress toward your goal is. Well, most people don't do anything like that. They just fumble through life, and then they save money. If they're smart, at least they save some money for retirement. And then they plan that one day I'll retire, and then I'll do something. They don't even know what that is. If they knew what that was, they might figure out, you know what, I could do it now. But that is what one, the biggest failure that most people have. And don't think that doesn't lead to a paranoid state. When you don't know where you're going, you're lost. You tell me if there's a more paranoid individual than someone that's lost. You ever seen someone lost in the woods? They, they, you could take a video of that and put that in an online dictionary. This is what paranoid looks like. The only thing more paranoid than a lost person in the woods is someone doing something they're not supposed to be doing, uh, thinking that somebody might be watching them. Right? And, so, and the, the, the look is very, very similar. Jerking the head around, sweating, respiration increases. So if you walk around in your life with no control or plan for your lifestyle, right, then you're going to be in a state that mimics paranoia. So when anything comes along that, that trips that little tickle in the back of your mind, you're already in a predisposed state to be receptive to it, and that's why you'll go over the edge really, really easy. And you're not happy and you're miserable and you don't know why. So somebody must be to blame. So when someone comes on the air and goes, Oh, they're out to get you. You go, it's them. They're the ones that did it to me. You don't realize that most of your problems are self-inflicted. Because you have no plan for your lifestyle. Uh, most people actually have no plan for their future either. Their future plan is, well, I'm going to retire at 65, move to Arizona and play golf. That's not a plan for your future. What about tomorrow? What about next week? What about next year? How, what about progressing in that goal? So people don't plan for their futures, not in any meaningful way. They don't plan for what's it going to look like where I live, because the next one I want to put right in there is your property, planning for your property. I think one of the reasons that gardening and permaculture are so centering is because they involve planning, and they involve looking forward. And as I said at the beginning, when you're looking forward, you have hope. When you're looking at now or yesterday, you have misery. You don't have hope. And if you want to stamp out paranoia, which is, which is aggravated by depression, which is aggravated by a lack of hope, a feeling of helplessness, then you have to put optimism into your life. And going forward is what creates optimism. When you're, you ever notice that uh, the trip to a place is often more exciting than a trip home. Because when you go home, it feels good, but in a lot of ways you feel like you're going backwards. When you're going somewhere for the first time. There's an optimism. I'm going to see something new. And when we plan our future, we plan our property. And I think this is important. You're also planning your redundancies. I'll just give you all of them. Those are your planning, your lifestyle, your future, your property, and your redundancy. Because the one I'm going to finish up with today I'll skip ahead to, I won't go deep into yet, but everything's interconnected. See, the minute you start planning your lifestyle, well, you're going to plan your future. Um, if you're planning your future and you live in a place, you want to make it more conducive to your lifestyle, so now you start planning your property. And then you say, I, since I'm now enjoying, see, and this is the thing that makes you a better prepper. If you now enjoy what you have, if you think this, because there's people that come into this mindset and they actually think, when the shit hits the fan, it'll be better. Because all of my misery and problems will go away, and I can just fight. 
And they have no idea they're going to be just as miserable and probably one of the first people dead if they're thinking that way. And they might be dead from debt before they're dead from a bullet. In fact, they probably will. Your debt is a bigger threat than a raving mob. I'm serious. Your debt's one of the biggest threats out there. So if we start to build a lifestyle that we like by planning our future and our property and our lives in general around it, then the next thing that we're going to start doing is go, I like this. I don't want to lose this. I want to keep this. So then we'll start planning redundancy into that. And it's very interesting what happens when you start to put redundancies into your plan. You become more and more confident, more and more emboldened, because as you analyze a weakness and put in a redundancy, when somebody says, well, what if you go, well, then this. And they go, well, what if? And if you go, well, then that. And you and they go, well, what if this? And it's even something new. And you go, great. Now I found another hole to fill. Oh, and by the way, if I don't get it filled now, since I've got these two redundancies first, by the time this one and this one fail, I have plenty of time to fix this one. And you, then you start to realize the interconnected relationships and go, actually, I already have a solution to that over here. I just never thought of it that way before. Your mind starts to switch on. And when your mind starts to switch on and function, and it starts to engage, you start to believe that you can actually get this shit done, all of a sudden, all this other negativity bullshit that people keep bringing up, you know, you know, that's not important in my life. If I can't affect it, I have very little time for it. I'll go back to the seven habits of highly effective people. I don't even know what the seven habits are. I have the book, right? But I got the book because I was told I needed to have the book. And I opened the book, and I opened the book to a page. And there's a great big circle. And the circle said, circle of concern. Everything you care about. The ass clowns in Washington, D.C., what's going on in Fukushima, Japan, all different types of stuff from one end to the other. And there's a little bitty circle inside the big circle. And the other one says circle of influence. This is what you can affect. This is what you care about. Effective people spend their time in that little circle and very little time in the big circle. Never read the book because I went, oh, there it is. There's the whole book. I'm sorry I ruined it for you, but that is the whole book. That's no offense to Stephen Covey, but seriously, that was the only thing I needed to see there. And I started to realize that if I would focus on the things that I control in the, my redundancy and my future and my lifestyle, that I would have a better life. Times get tougher even if they don't. See, everything's interconnected. Then the next thing, and hopefully you hear it from me all the time, is your passion. I, it, it's really hard for me sometimes when people say, well, I'm not passionate. I don't know what I'm passionate about. So let me give you some things to be passionate about today. Because I think, I think that sometimes people hear that and from, you know, when it comes from someone like me as an entrepreneur and I'm passionate about teaching and I'm passionate about preparedness and I'm passionate about permaculture, they're looking for a subject they could devote their life to. And they fail to realize that all humans have passion. We just lose touch with it. So how about the first thing that you cultivate a passion for is your life? You have a passion for life. You know the old saying, everybody wants to go to heaven, but nobody wants to go now? Why do you think that is? Because living has value. Living has meaning. So the first thing that you need to do, if you're going to be able to plan for your future, if you're going to be able to get past paranoia, if you're going to be able to build resiliency and redundancy and self-sufficiency in your life, is be passionate about living in the first place. Or what are you surviving for? Why are you worried about what your government does if you don't even give a damn about your own life enough to be passionate for your own life. The next thing, be passionate for your freedom and your liberty. 
Be passionate for your freedom and your liberty. Understand that no matter how much danger there is toward constitutional liberty today, that no matter what anybody tells you, no matter what they tell you on Russian Times or, or Al Jazeera or whatever alternative media from another part of the world, and I, I think there's value in, in seeing the viewpoints that come from other places, but no matter what you're told, there is no place with more freedom right now than here. We have more freedom to act and do, and more than other industrialized nations, more than England. It's almost impossible to even buy a piece of land there and build a house on it if there's not already a house there. It's insane what it takes to get what they call planning permission. Here you buy a piece of land, you build a house on it. You know, maybe some local government tries to take away a front yard garden, but your federal government's not. They're really not. Maybe they tax us too much. Well, they definitely do. But we also have a tax code that was written for the ultra-rich so that they could avoid paying a lot of taxes. Guess what? You can do that too. Well, that's just for corporations. File a piece of paper with an attorney and you're a corporation, fool. There is a lot of liberty left in this country. And the big thing about being passionate for liberty is not what you're permitted to do. It's the ideal that liberty represents in your heart and soul. See, that can never be crushed. There are people who have been sent to prison that were never really imprisoned for the day in their life because of the way they think. And they always had spiritual, emotional freedom, even behind bars. And if you're not behind bars, it should be a cakewalk for you. So passion for your liberty. How about this? Passion for your family. There's so many people, I'd die for my children. I'd lay my life down for my kids. Will you live for them? Will you live for them? There's people that are drowning in debt and they say they would die for their kid. How about you pay your debt off for your kid so they don't have to pay it off? There's people that are addicted to drugs that may, that literally would throw themselves in front of a car to save their kid. But will you quit drugs for your kid? It's so easy to die for something. Sometimes it's harder to live for something. And I think it's something that we need to understand. That's what passion's about. Passion's about the living side. It's great that there are men and women that would lay their lives down for their brothers and their sisters and give their lives to save another person. But even their passion's based on life. The life of the other. Have some passion for your own life. Have some passion for your family. Live for them. How about for your work? Even if you don't like your job. Maybe, and I have work in quotes. Because work isn't necessarily what you get paid to do. What do you do that has meaning in the world? What are you most proud of? If you don't know, find something. Do something. Matter. Be something. That's passion for your work. Not your job. Your work. Now your work and your job, if you're lucky, might be the same thing. They might overlap in some areas and not others. But have passion for your work. And the big one? You guys should know what the big one is. Passion for the future. This belief that everything's going to fall apart, parts of it will fall apart. Things will shift. People will get run over. But in every failure, there's an opportunity. In every shift, there's an opportunity. Those that are prepared fare best. In fact, they, they exceed their own levels of achievement during these shifts. I told you in 2008 before the crash, if you can get ready now, do it, because the whole world's going to go on sale. You can buy houses today 
for 25% of what they were selling for four or five years ago. Do you understand? I mean, and you can get, the, if you have no debt and you have money to put down, if you were smart, you can get a mortgage with a 3% interest rate buying a house that's 25 to 40% of what it was five years ago. Do you not see opportunity there? Big, heavy-duty pickup trucks, if you like those, are cheap because people can't afford the fuel in them. If you don't have a payment on the truck, you don't really care. You have to put a couple hundred dollars worth of fuel in it a month. It's not that big a deal anymore. The whole world is on sale. Guess what? It's going to get better. It's going to get better. The false recovery is on the way. 2012 is going to be a better year than anybody's saying right now. I'm telling you that. If it's not, I don't even care. I'll be wrong. I'm ready for it to be bad. But I'm also really looking forward to being good. And you know what? I think that eventually all this good is going to come up into a final powder keg and explode and then we're going to see the real dip in the economy. One so bad is going to make what already happened look like a joke. And you know what? I'm excited. I'm excited because I know that sometimes if you want to regrow something, first you have to burn it down. I'm excited because I'm prepared for when it burns down. I'm excited because I know a lot of you are prepared for when it burns down. I'm excited because I know it's not going to be Road Warrior. I'm excited because I know it's not going to be the end of the world as we know it. It's going to be a shift. And when that shift comes, there'll be hard times for all of us, but there'll be good times for us. If you talk to some of the people who were around during the Great Depression, ask them. And will it be worse than that? I think in some ways it will be worse. In some ways it will be better. And exactly what it's going to look like, I don't know. But I know that I have passion for the future. I'm going to be a part of it, whatever it is. And then the last of the three P's is persistence. And the first thing from persistence is failure is only a lesson. You know, I had Joe Salatin on, and he left us with such great advice that so many people remember their grandma saying, if it's worth doing, it's worth doing right. And he said, grandma's wrong, much as he loves his grandma, I'm sure. That if it's worth doing, it's worth doing wrong enough times to figure out how to do it right. What great advice. What awesome advice. And that's what we need to be thinking about because there's so many people that email me every day, I want to do this, but I'm afraid that. Right? Two blanks. Fill them in. It doesn't matter. And my general advice is, here's kind of a way I would try it. Go do it. See what happens. Doesn't work? Change it. Adapt. Improvise. Overcome. Come on. We teach this to 17, 18-year-old kids. We hand them a gun. We tell them to go off and fight a war. If they can do it, you can do it. You have so much more advantage than they do. No one's shooting at you. The worst thing that's going to happen to you is you're going to stub your toe or lose a few bucks. So what? Who cares? It's failure. Excellent. Now you know not to do that again. Right? I mean, one of my favorite quotes of all time is from Michael Jordan. You know what his quote was? Do you guys remember? It was in a Nike commercial. I've missed more than 9,000 shots in my career. I've lost almost 300 games. 26 times I've been trusted to take the game-winning shot and missed. I failed over and over and over again in my life. And that is why I succeed. But you know what? I'll tell you what doesn't get said when people uh, quote that. 26 times I've been trusted to take the game-winning shot and missed. Sure. But some of those games didn't really matter. But the one time when the championship was on the line, when it was all him, made the shot. 
because of the 9,000 shots he missed, because of the 26 times he failed. That's It kind of goes unsaid, but I think it's important to remember that guy flying through the air, after, not during the shot, not the dunk, right, but the jump shot. And then remember the sideways jump, right? That is success that comes from failure. Failure is just a lesson. The next one is nothing worth much is easy. You know, most of the things I talk about doing are simple, meaning you can do them, but they're not easy. Easy is going home, eating potato chips, and watching TV. That's easy. Getting up and digging a hole is difficult, comparatively. What I mean when I say things are simple is that anybody can do it. Easy means path of least resistance. And nothing worth having much in your life, whether it's knowledge or money or wealth, however you define that, or owning your home without having debt on it, or having great kids that, that are going to grow up and accomplish great things, or gaining knowledge that you can teach. None of it is easy. And if it was, it wouldn't really be worth much because then everybody would have it. And if I gave everybody in the United States right now for free a million dollars, I would basically make being a millionaire worthless overnight. Everybody would be a millionaire, so a millionaire would mean nothing. It would become the new standard of poverty. The brokest among us are millionaires. What's the thing from the cartoon movie? When everybody's super, nobody will be super. Remember that from The Incredibles? It's true. I'm like Don Shimoda from the book Illusions. I'll quote the truth wherever I find it. If it's from Snoopy, I don't care. I'll quote it there. It's the truth. If everybody has something, having it doesn't mean anything. So that means that things worth having will always take more effort. So be willing to put it out there because your life, liberty, family, work, and future are worth it. The next thing is when we come to just the preparedness component of this, preparedness is a lifestyle. It's not something you do. Preparedness isn't I go buy a bunch of crap, I stick it in a hole, and then if I ever need it, it's there. That's, that's like 1%. And it's one of the least important components. It really is. It's, it's how you think. In fact, my next one is, how you think is more important than what you know. Do you realize that? You could have tons of knowledge, but if you don't have the thinking capacity to assemble it and put it together, doesn't mean anything. If you don't have particular knowledge, but you have thinking ability, troubleshooting ability, and you know how to think, when you end up in the situation, you'll create the knowledge. You'll find the knowledge. You'll put two things together and go, two and two make four. Therefore, I can do this. How you think is more important than what you know. And, you know, it's interesting to me that a lot of times in the media, when people get condemned, they say, well, that guy tells you how to think. No. I wish, I wish the big overriding message from the media, from school, from your contemporaries, from your employer, from the government, from everybody, was here's how to think. I'm going to challenge you here if you're not, if you're not sure where I'm going. It's going to be hard for you to accept this. But there's nothing wrong with telling someone how to think. Problem we have isn't that. Problem is we tell people what to think. Think about that. Telling someone how to think says, this is how you analyze. This is how you think critically. This is how you come to your own conclusion. 
telling somebody what to think, says, I've done the thinking for you. You're too stupid to reach the right conclusion, so I'll do it for you. And this is what you're supposed to believe now. That's what your government, that's what your schools, that's what your media, that's what all of these people do today. They tell you what to think. I'm trying to teach you how to think. And I'm telling you that how you think is more important than what you know. The next one, what you know is more important than what you have. What you know is so much more important than what you have. If you know how to feed yourself from the woods, not having food is far, far, far much less importance. If you have food, but you don't know how to cook it, you don't know how to use it, you don't know how to combine it into something nutritional and balanced, you don't know how to ration it, you don't know how to deal with it in a situation where the grid's down, having it's not really very useful. What you know. So even though what you think is more, how you think is more important than what you know, what you know is more important than what you have. And that leads us to our next logical conclusion. I told you I was going to bring you some new stuff today. What you have is more important than what you don't have. I mean, I think if I could teach the average American those three things, how you think is more important than what you know, what you know is more important than what you have, and what you have is more important than what you don't have, I could fix 90% of the crap that's wrong here. Because I wouldn't do it, you would. You know, it makes me think of my old John boat. Uh, I had this John boat I used to fish in, and I really wasn't happy with it in a lot of ways. And I was focusing on all the things that it didn't do that I wanted, and I wasn't ready to spend money on a new boat, and I was just kind of miserable about it. And then one day I said, you know what I'm going to do? I have a boat. What do I want it to do? And then I took away everything that was in the way, and I put things in to fill those functions, and I made a really cool boat. I'll paste, post a link to a video of it on YouTube. It really was a cool boat. I ended up selling it, and I sold it. I mean, as soon as I put it up for sale, it was gone. We just didn't feel like bringing it here. But it's a perfect example. What you have is more important than what you don't have. And what do most people focus on? I don't have this. I don't have that. I don't, I don't have. I don't have. I don't have. And I see it everywhere. Well, you know, you could do some gardening and, and grow some of your own food. I don't have that much space. Instead of, I have a little bit of space, right? People that come to me about business, you know what you need, and I'll tell them what you need to do, more content. Put something out every day. I don't have a, I don't have a lot of time. Instead of, I do have some time. And I can allocate it and I can use it. See, that's what it's all about. Those are the, those, I'm gonna say them again, because those are the rules that we should be guiding our lives by. How we think was more important than what we know. What we know is more important than what we have. And what we have is more important than what we don't have. We have so much compared to so many. Really, if you've never been to a third world country, you have no idea the, 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 the magnitude of that statement. But when you go to those places, those people have so much left, less than us, because they know that how they think is important, and they know that their knowledge is important, you'd be amazed at what they do with what they have. Most of them don't even know what they don't have. They don't even know half of the crap that we think is important. They don't, they don't just not have it. They don't know it exists. They've never seen it. And there you go. And I hope that now that I'm to the end, you already see what I'm going to say next. Because I, I skipped ahead very early and told you what the last part is. Everything's interconnected. Every single thing I've told you today, planning for your lifestyle, your future, your property, and your redundancy, passion for your life, your liberty, your family, your work, and the future, 
persistence, being that failure is only a lesson, nothing worth much is easy, preparedness is a lifestyle, not something you do, how you think being more important than what you know, what you know being more important than what you have, what you have is more important than what you don't have, all of those concepts are interconnected relationships. And the difference between really successful, strong, courageous people and paranoid, fearful people is simply that the bold see, understand, and harness the connections. The fearful man is fishing with a rod, a reel, and a line. And if the line breaks, he starves. The bold person is fishing with a net, and literally 60 or 70% of the lines in the net could break, and he could still bring home dinner. And if you think that's about fishing, man, I just wasted 45 minutes of my time trying to get you to see the bigger reality. That's about life. And it's the same lesson that Jeff Lawton will stand in front of a classroom and teach in a permaculture design course and say, this is how modern agriculture designs a system. It's a line. This is how we design a system. It's a net. Everything is interconnected. Everything that you do in one area of life affects all areas of your life. And it affects the lives of all of those interconnected to you. So find your flipping passion for your life. Understand that 2012, year of great change, yes, and be excited for it. Understand, yes, this is the last time that I'll get on the air and talk to you before 2012, because tomorrow will just be a rehash of a Christmas episode where I'm going to tell you to calm down, right? Because I get you all excited now and just be with your family, and that'll be great. But understand that all of this, all of this comes with opportunity. All of this comes with the opportunity to be more of what you are than you've ever been. Hardship brings opportunity. Just as prosperity brings opportunity. And if we do things the right way, if we plan, if we're persistent, and if we're passionate, we'll find the opportunity regardless of what comes to us. And if you look around at your family and your life and the world and the people and the things that you have passion for, you'll find that there's a lot of opportunity to do better. There's a lot of opportunity to do more. And there's a lot of opportunity to realize that in the year that the media will hype up the potential for an end, it's a great opportunity. It's a great opportunity for a new beginning. And with that, this has been Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast, helping you figure out how to live that better life if times get tough or even if they don't.
revolution is you.